the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Why are so many people happy with the U.S. women's team's loss in the Women's World Cup? And then, a good test for your politics. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Thursday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really good to have you with us today on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. Hope that you're having a great week. Hey, if you've missed any of our shows this week including the time we spent with Russell Moore. We spent time with Russell Moore, and we spent time with John Benedict. I know, it's been such a fun week. Across the board with guests, that's right. So go get the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, Aubrey, I'm the sports guy on the show. You are? So an interesting thing. I, I, I want your feel on something. I want your thoughts on something. I, are you even aware that the Women's World Cup is going on, the soccer tournament? No, but I knew the women's gymnastics team was in uh, Chicago last weekend. That is true. Well so, done. So thank you. Uh, well, the Women's World Cup, which is uh, the biggest of the of the women's soccer tournaments in the in the world, uh, the United States has won the last one, two, or three. They're, we're constantly winning or in the finals okay. or this or that. Well, the other day, uh, our team got eliminated. The U.S. got eliminated in the round of 16 on penalty kicks. Oh, bummer. Okay? Bummer. And they did not play well in this tournament. They only scored, after the first game, they only scored one goal. Like, all of this stuff. And there's you can look at it. It's it's kind of this transition from the older to the younger and that kind of stuff. So they'll be good again in the future. And the real lightning rod in this is Megan Rapino. So Megan Rapino, many people might know her from having the purple hair, and she's very outspoken. She okay. has been one who has knelt at the national anthem. So been other places. politically, is that what you mean? Politically anti-Trump. She's okay. also very uh, outspoken about um, like. Not just trans rights, but also like in this debate about uh, trans people being in women's sports. Okay, she's gotcha. Been, and she could come across as very condescending. Gotcha. Let's just put this. Okay. In the penalty kick, she missed one of the penalty kicks oh, that probably would have gone, swung the whole outcome. So since then, and I don't know why these things still surprise me, there's a sector of our country. Oh, no. Most people don't even know the tournament's going on. Sure. The glee on my Twitter feed, you know, it's not like oh, the people you follow, but the people on. you might, you know, things you might be interested in. Ever. Yeah. The glee from especially right wingers at the women's loss because, well, this is what happens when you're so outspoken. This is what happens when you don't respect. Yeah. The na- there was this whole hubbub about after the first game where the, none of them were singing during the national anthem. Where I was kind of like, I don't know. Do people sing during the national anthem? They were all standing but not singing. Whatever. Yeah. They are perceived as having um, a little bit of a lack of patriotism. I see. And, and so, so there was not just uh, indifference. There was there was a real Twitter kind of uh, party over the loss of the women's uh, national team, and I found that odd. 
Like, I found that, like, yeah. we're happy that Sweden beat us. And I, I it, just it, because you don't like the politics of again, one of the players or what have you, it again made me feel that like really like we can't come around the stars An and stripes team. on even yeah, if I don't need to sports. I don't need to agree with the politics of all the uh, swimmers in the Olympics uh, to cheer or, on the Olympic swimmers or right? all the golfers yeah. in no. the Ryder Cup or all this and I think it has a lot to do with her but. I was wondering while watching this go on, like, have we taken this to another whole level here? Like where even now we can't be like, let's enjoy sports together. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. And there has to be it means sort of on a different scale, the same concept as can you listen to the music of someone that you don't you don't agree with their politics? Sure, we do it all the time. I mean, even something you think is innocuous like oldies, you might not know what that person's belief. They might have been a commie. Do you know what I'm <laughs> yes, saying? Like, yes. I'm being facetious here, but I think can you not, especially an American sports team, U.S. women's soccer, killing it in the World Cup, like to not re- to rejoice when they lose simply because you disagree with their politics. Even if you think they're being unpatriotic, that's right. It's not patriotic yourself. So we—that's uh, an important point. We need a large enough umbrella under the word patriotism to have people that we disagree with. But I guess what really gets me here is, like, I've never once watched the Olympics and gone. I wonder what their politics never, are. Never, never. I've never watched. You know, I love like watching Team USA men's basketball because yeah. they're like, you know, they're they're NBA players. And that. Yeah, I've never thought to myself. Wonder what you know LeBron James thinks about this, right. wonder, but I feel like more and more that's happening, right? Yeah, isn't that the trajectory? And that, like, is that going to get into other sports that aren't even like? Uh, I think this is a massive more question like, in general. Like, yes to sports, even even to churches. Can you can you attend a church where your pastor votes differently than right. you? Right? Can you cheer on a and team where the players vote differently than you? Can you? Consume at a restaurant where the owner votes differently from you. Like, we have to make space for this. And especially just, yeah, it's very bizarre. Like, even if they're outspoken, you're still cheering on the U.S. women's soccer team. Like, you can't be excited that another country won unless you're from that country. or It's just, it is bizarre, And I think where it gets odd is... And I just needed to get this off my chest. Like, Megan Rapino, let's just be honest. There's a lot of things that she has said and stands for that I don't agree with. Mm, like, this yeah. is not a, hey, we should all support Megan Rapino. Yeah. There's not one moment, though, in watching the game. And I didn't watch it. It was overnight, so I didn't watch it. But th- I didn't wake up in the morning and find out the results and go, good. Good. She got I'm what so she glad. had coming. <laughs> they all, those, that women's team got what they had coming towards them. I, it's like when people were, um, remember the women's basketball player that was Brittany Griner. Yeah. How could I forget her name? Goodness. Sorry about that. Brittany Griner. There were, I mean, I know it was a small population, but there were still some people celebrating. Well, she get, she gets what she, why should we help her if she doesn't do this? Yeah. And it's that same kind of attitude. Like it's almost, we've lost a sense of humanity, uh, Nuance. I guess what's it's new. Very interesting. And is this because of politics since 2016, or is this because of social media combination of both? Like, why is this suddenly? Yeah, I think it's different? both. And I think what's new about it is 
so we've talked about this often, is we as a culture, as a country, for many people, it's become people on the opposite side. People who do stuff that I even disagree with are now my enemies. Our villains. And yeah. so therefore, yeah. they couldn't look at the Women's World Cup team and be like, hey, that's an American team. Even right. if I disagree with them, like they're, right. they're representing our country. Right. But instead, she's a villain. Good Therefore, thing Sweden beat them, and I'm yeah. I'm taking glee in the fact that Megan Rapinoe kicked the ball over the goal post, mm-hmm. over the over the goal instead of scoring. It's yeah. just a weird. I read stories and see things, and sometimes I go, I don't like where we're at. Yeah, it's very strange. What is it a symptom of? I guess it's just the just continued division, division. lack it's, of unity. I'm and, and I mean, I know I'm not the first person to say this, and I'm trying not to get consumed by it, but I certainly feel like, oh no, and here we go again—a new presidential election season. The division's going to run rampant again unless we're really mindful to kind of separate. Like, not from people we disagree with, but be able to remember that people are humans and we can still celebrate those who think differently right? than us and and expect the same in return. Like you this know? doesn't seem like this is a huge leap to take, but maybe it is increasingly. Maybe it is just a, a hard direction to go. Well, Strange. It is. Coming up next, Daniel Darling tweeted something about a good political test for oh, us. Okay. Kind of this uh, along these same lines. And I want to know... How we do at this test. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And Art, we were just talking politics, which seems to be a lot of what we talk about these days. Yep. But we were just talking politics, and I saw this from Daniel Darling. I also wish people could see you in the studio right now. Apparently, you're cold. <laughs> you have literally like an Afghan wrapped around you. I know. You. I used to keep a winter like hat in here, and I think I brought it home. So I'm going to have to bring back my winter hat and gloves, my studio gear. I'm going to have to my winter studio gear. Right, right. All right. Daniel Darling, uh, who's been caught up in some stuff, but uh, he's a columnist and author and does a lot of things. Uh, here's the question that he asked. He said, a good test for our politics is this. If the other side did what my side just did, mm. would I be outraged? Ooh, say that Unpack again. Unpack that, say again. that right. again. Here's the test. A good test for our politics is this. If the other side did what my side just did, would I be outraged? I I got really excited because there was a bird outside of our studio, like sitting on the tree and you never see birds up here. So that was kind of fun. I got distracted by just a minute. I know I'm like, Brian, Brian, pay attention. This is what happens behind the scenes yes. in their studio. Just so everyone knows a good test for our politics is, yeah, I think you're actually good at pointing this out, Brian. Like, I feel like you bring in stories where you're like, wait, wait, if the, if this side did the same thing, everyone would be outraged. How right. are we okay with this? And I, I think what this says is, our bias towards ourselves, right? If we tend to just assume kind of what we were talking about before with the women's world cup team, if they disagree with me, they're the enemy. Mm -hmm. Therefore anything we do is okay. And anything they do isn't instead of evaluating this as, okay, hold on, let me discern what's happening here. Would I be frustrated if the quote other side did the same thing, made the same policy, said the same thing, uh, or would I be okay? Or or am I comfortable with it? Like, I, I think that's a, a good way to think through nuance and um, partisanship without being blinded by your own 
point of view. So true. And this is why this is important, because oftentimes I've thought about this because, you know, both sides of the aisle, they will rage against the other one. And I've often thought to myself, if if we just flip the D and the R there, mm. and people might be like, well, that would never happen. Well, let's just play, let's yeah. play in the world yeah. where it does. If um, if somebody did, if a Democrat did what Donald Trump is purported to have done with documents or the election, mm-hmm. how would the Democrats respond to mm-hmm. that? Would they rally around them? Mm-hmm. How would the Republicans? Or is there a rule of law? This is what it gets at. Is there a rule of law that goes above our party? Is there a an ethic? Is yeah. there a yeah. character traits yeah. that go above our law? And the only way, Daniel Darling's right here. The only way that we know if we believe there is, is am I willing to point those things mm, out in my own in tribe? In my own party. In my yeah. own party, in yeah. my own tribe, yeah. in my own church? Or is it always just casting stones to the other side and it's just kind of like a... Who can win this? That's where it becomes really difficult because it is weird. Like people, if they have an R, then all the Republicans, you know, stand up for them and the Democrats. But then when you quickly flip it, oh, well, no, that's not what happened. You're like, I don't know. Be consistent. Let's just be consistent. So it's interesting. Matthew Price is responding to Dan Darling here and he says, that's a good test. Here's another one. And I think this goes to what you're saying about is there a rule of law that's above our politics? Here's the test he mentions. If this policy was universalized, what would the result be on society? So just thinking through things on a larger scale, like how does this impact everybody? How does this even attitude, action, verbiage, posturing impact everybody? Does that help you think through a common good. I mean, to use that term instead Unpack of just that your a party bit. What lines. if, what if let's live in hypothetical dream yeah, world? Yeah. What if we did act this way? You know what? I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to call out my own party. I'm going to praise the other one when they do things well, but I'm going to call out them too. And I'm going to look in what would happen if both sides of the aisle in this conversation live this way? You know, I, of course this is idealistic, right? Because we're still broken humans and this isn't going to happen. But I think, there, there would hopefully be um, an insistent, an insistence on more character from our political leaders, because mm. we go, wait, 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 hold up, that doesn't match this ethic that we've all agreed to, or that doesn't match caring for my neighbor, or that doesn't match the thing that you said over here. Mm. So I'm not going to take it all, you know. One, um, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not going to take it all as one generalization. Like, I need you to hold yourself accountable to the thing that you said you are. I want to see more integrity in you. Like, I think it raises the level, perhaps, for who politicians are, for the way they speak, for the decisions they make. You're not going to agree with your people in your political party 100% all the time. Mm. But I do think it would give us more of, like, um, a guideline for calling those leaders to task mm. in a more meaningful way and not because I'll just use Trump, for example, the language around women grabbing women's genitals like early on in the election when that came out, the the E! News story. Right. To me, that was so disheartening to see, especially Christians go, well, boys will be boys. 
um, he's God's man in the office or he represents my party. So I'm just going to ignore that. Like if that was on the other side, if that came out that Biden had said that everyone would lose their minds, rightly so, Mm -hmm. because that lacked any moral integrity, background, backbone. It was assault. It was abuse. It was horrific and evil. And there weren't enough people, I felt like, in my political party and in my Christian tribe saying, no, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think that's what perhaps this would allow for, a little more willingness to go, you know what? This isn't the character I want to see. Mm. It might be my party, but this isn't enough for me to say you get my vote. That character matters, yeah. right? And you're seeing it right now in our politics where the Democrats just want to talk about, well, Trump did this with the documents. Trump did this. Trump did this. And the Republicans just want to be like, Hunter Biden this. Hunter and Biden this, this. Hunter Biden and that. And like the yep. Democrats are like, we won't talk about this. And the Republicans are like, we don't want to talk about it. And you're like... Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're both big deals yeah. that we could be adults about this and go, you know what? These are both big deals. Yeah, let's try a, to have a conversation okay on either side and let's right. hold to account everybody who did things, yeah. regardless of the little letter at the end of their name. And we'll figure it all out later about right. how to go. I don't know. It's just such a weird deal that sometimes it seems obvious and you're like, I don't know about this world we live in. I just don't know how to make sense of it. It's so. a little bit the golden rule what Dan Darling, Darling say, like treat others like you want to be treated, right? right? It's the, this is kind of the same thing. Like, do I want to be, would I want to be treated that way Yeah. by my leaders, the way that the other party, I, anyway, yeah, right. it's, it's weird. It's a weird world we live in, Brian. That's uh, the solution to all this. That's what we're going to say. It's a weird world. Answer. I guess we would tell everybody out there, just be consistent that's in it. your politics, in your critique of church or whatever else yeah. it is. Just be consistent and be willing to look in your own eye or your own tribe's eye, and and I think we'll all be better off for that. Coming up next, Greg Steyer tweeted something about something as a pastor that he did at the end of every sermon. I want to ask you about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Have you ever heard of Dare to Share? That organization, it's a youth organization. Yeah, it's maybe. very evangelistic. Yeah. Very evangelistic. Yeah, maybe. Hence the name Dare, Dare to, to Share. Share. Uh and the, the founder and the visionary kind of behind is Greg Steyer. So before I read his tweet, you need to know Greg Steyer is very evangelism driven. Okay. Right? Like yep. we should all be into evangelism. Yeah. We should all be doing evangelism. He kind of breathes okay, evangelism. Gotcha. All right. And you should appreciate that as a master evangelist. I do appreciate that. He writes this. Let me read. It's a long tweet. Let me read the whole thing and uh, and just get your take on it. He said, when I was a pastor, I gave the gospel at the end of every sermon as well as an opportunity for people to respond. I did this every week for the 10 years I was a pastor of a local church. Why? Honestly, I shuddered at the thought of an unbeliever coming into our church and leaving with no opportunity to hear and believe the Gospels. Mm. In the words of Ezekiel and of Paul, I wanted to be, quote, innocent of the blood of all men, having done my part in saving the lost souls in front of me. That's the heart of an evangelist right yep, there. Right? right there. By the way, there he said this for 10 years. There were only two weeks in the time I was a pastor where nobody responded <gasps> to the Gospel. Wow. Why? 
Because once everyone realized that I was going to give the gospel every week, they brought out their unreached friends to hear. Every week was Friendship <laughs> Sunday. Love that. Although I preached expository sermons books through books of the Bible, every week was like an evangelistic festival at the end of the sermon. Wow. Our people would not only not only invited their friends, neighbors, coworkers, and family members, many would take their unreached or just reached friends out to lunch afterwards and say, what did you think of the sermon? And especially what the pastor said at the end. This led to strong evangelistic participation by the church and solved much of our follow-up problem. I called it the reverse altar call. Wow. When I left Grace Church, 10 years after planting it, we had over 60% new conversion growth. Wow. The new pastor, Rick, has carried that tradition on, and now the church numbers in the thousands packed with new disciples. So then he gets this. Pastors. I challenge you to give the gospel in every sermon you preach. Mm -hmm. Give people an opportunity to respond. Mm -hmm. Don't allow one unbeliever to leave your church without knowing the clear way of salvation through Jesus Christ and his death on their behalf. That's awesome. And then he quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determine not to know anything among you save mm. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wow. That's so awesome. So you and I are pastors. I got to be honest. I don't give an altar call. Yeah. Rarely. Like yeah. maybe Easter rolls around. Yeah. Like I found this to be convicting as I read that. Now he very yeah. much has an evangelist heart. Yep. But this was convicting. Yeah. I think this is really powerful. We, so every, we do the Lord's Supper every um, Sunday mm -hmm. and we use that as a, kind of an altar call like we'll we'll talk about what the meal is and invite people to come to faith in jesus for the first time and to come to the table as part of that mm -hmm. so we do that every sunday but i don't know that we're always as clear as like here's what jesus did for you here's the way to salvation mm -hmm. like i think we we tend to tie it to the sermon or the message i think i've told you when i go preach out at timberlake church in seattle they have me give an altar call every week, every week, but it's not an altar call. Come to the front. It's open your eyes. If you want to pray this prayer, you know, every eye bow, every close that, yes. that whole thing. And you know, I haven't been there that often, but every single Sunday I'm there, I'm, I'm even shocked as the person on stage at how many people open their eyes to receive really? salvation. Yeah. And pray that prayer. And granted, that's in a place like Seattle where it's very unchurched and very unchristian or post-Christian or whatever. But it's still, why wouldn't you ask? Why wouldn't you present the gospel? So will this change like this Sunday for you? I don't know, because uh, I'm, I'm a very forgetful person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think what it does change is just going, okay. Here's what gets at the heart of it, because here's why it's convicting. It's less about, wow, yeah, I should do that. Mm -hmm. And it's more about, all right, let's get really vulnerable here. It's more about this. Do I really think anyone would, would say yes? Mm -hmm. Do I really think there's non-believers in the yeah, audience or I, the congregation? Yeah. Do I really think this matters? Easter, there's going to be people there. So let's do it at Easter. Mm -hmm. He's saying, we just preached as if there were non-believers there. And guess what happened? There were non-believers there. Wow. And then it kind of snowballed us up. Wow. I think the convicting part of me is, do I believe this is I effective? I, I, yeah. And I think, I think that's very honest to go. If I, if I say, come to the altar, will anyone come? Mm. If I say, open your eyes, will anybody open their eyes? If I, and I, I think my husband's really good about remembering like not everybody in this room is a Christian right. and not everybody in this room knows the Bible. Not everybody in this room has gone to church. I'm not great at that. He's, he's better at that than I am. But I, I do think for all of us to go, 
do we believe like do we believe the power of Jesus's salvation enough and assume that God is working in the hearts of people to trust that like what's the worst that can happen if you give an invitation Sure, maybe nobody opens their eyes. Right. Or maybe four people open their eyes or maybe 10 people open. You know what I mean? Like, I I do think for us, it's a matter of being convicted ourselves and in awe ourselves of the beauty of the gift of salvation and and trusting that God's Holy Spirit is already at work in the lives of people, drawing them to Jesus. Then we just get to step in as a partner in that process. But I'm with you. I think it's a bit perhaps vulnerable and then maybe it's less about god and more about us at that point right there is something to be said about like what if nobody does it mm-hmm. and then i i do i think this is a, this speaks to our expectation is god still at work saving souls in and through his church and i think if yeah. you believe he is then you'll kind of orient your services yeah. and your way it doesn't mean you're the seeker service who's just right. no it just means an 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 excited expectation God could do something today. There's, I think a lot of us just get caught in the, all right, next service, everyone's here, same people as normal, let's absolutely. just do this. There's this um, pastor that I noticed is responding to Greg Steyer here. I don't know who he is. His name is Matt Hensley. But he says, one of the things I realized in a preaching rut years ago is I'd quote run out of steam by the final point or conclusion during sermon prep. So I would end up just copy pasting the ABCs, the Roman roads, basically some you know call to the gospel He said, the spirit convicted me of this. And I began to jump to the conclusion after I discovered the main idea, then get the body done. My invitation then was much more in line with the text fresh, and I felt it far more faithful. So is he saying he would share the gospel first? He front-ended it, or at least put it, it might be at the end, but I think he, that's where he started his writing. That's where he started, and then he'd go from there. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to maybe like reawaken, reignite this idea. I think so. All right, I'm challenged. I'm 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 yep. convicted. Yep. So it's good how that plays out. We shall see. But I am uh, I'm at the very least convicted. We will be back again tomorrow from four to six p.m. for Brian Fromm. I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.